1: They can't handle the truth.
2: War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon.
1: Okay, welcome to the Battlegrounds, Wednesday, 7th, September, in the year of our Lord, 2022. As we said today, and we could only do it briefly because we were so jammed. We had Naomi Wolf. It's this situation coming out of the UK uh, about now the Guardian saying the banning of the vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds. I've asked, and there's a lot more to go through, As I've asked uh, two of the... uh, the smartest individuals about this, Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. Jeffrey Tucker to join us. Uh, Dr. Malone, I want to start with you. I'll bring in Dr. Tucker in a second from Brownstone. Um, w- what is going on? I mean, this was, and they're doing it in a way, people have had to kind of dig this out, but they were so adamant about this, particularly the entire drive looked to be from Fauci and these guys. In fact, the, when I first started talking about this as saying the schools are going to, the schools and in the, in the, in the school moms we're going to be the key that picked the lock and really politically of turning things around was in uh, April and May of 2021 with the mass mandates and the vaccine mandates. When Fauci came out and said, hey, we're going to have ability for high schools by the fall and by by December, we will be able to vaccinate five to 11 year olds and we're going to go down to babies. I just want our audience to understand what is actually happening in the UK. Where does it stand now? And what information is coming out about that? And what are they basing that upon? Dr. Robert Malone.
0: So the UK is not the only Northern European nation, but it is the most recent to ban the use of the genetic vaccines in the children, 17 and below typically. And uh, what's, what's behind this is a very large amount of data now. We finally got to the point where we have so much data that it's very difficult for the various public health services to avoid the clear conclusion that the risks of these jabs are much greater than the potential benefits in protecting against what's essentially a very mild respiratory infection in children. And so now they have a problem all across the world, particularly in the Western nations, because they oversold this largely based on the cult of personality that was built around Tony Fauci. And it appears that with him gone, Burke's gone, with the CDC now being run by members of the senior executive service, uh, the ice has broken to a partial extent. We saw this uh, just a bizarre pathway for authorization of the new boosters, But uh, the data now are quite clear and we'll be coming out with a substack uh, showing the new CDC BeatSafe data concerning the risks in children associated with these genetic vaccines. And to my eye, it's shocking.
1: What, What do you mean by that? Talk to me about this data.
0: So the data are showing that at least 50% of the inoculated children are having, quote, systemic reactions from the vaccine. So half of all of your kids are having problems of various types. And then it drills down uh, deeper into the nuance of exactly what those adverse events are. And the importance here is that it's all coming out of the CDC's new V-safe system that uh, they've implemented since the BeARs is clearly compromised.
1: But well, here's what I don't understand. If this information has been to the public National Health Service in the UK, and they've already come forward and done this, and you're saying you, <laughs> this data is what you guys are independently looking at with your research groups at the vares data, which is publicly available, Obviously the CDC and the FDA have that same and the Biden regime have that oh, same yeah. the Surgeon General yeah, have sorry. that same data. Why are they not why are they not why are they not at the rampart saying that this should you gotta stop with the kids right now?
0: Uh good question, Steve. And this is actually the CDC data analysis. So what we're looking at is the forty two slide deck entitled, COVID-19 Vaccine Safety Update, colon, Primary Series in Young Children and Booster Doses in Older Children and Adults, Dated September 1, uh, by Tom Shimbakuru, to presented to the ACIP. So these are the CDC data, and they appear to have just disregarded them. People that were at that ACIP meeting and dialing in or in person that have spoken to me were stunned uh, members of the ACIP that raised objections or, and concerns were just blown off. They weren't answered. Anybody that asked sensitive questions that were outside of the approved narrative were basically disregarded. It, it, and that's now a public record. I don't know how to express this uh, without sounding conspiratorial or hyperbolic. We we clearly are in a situation of uh, lawless disregard for norms.
1: Let's uh, first off, what is AC ACIP stands for for what? Let's make sure the audience. The Advisory
0: it. Committee on Immunization Practices. So you'll recall that there is a committee that the FDA convenes to advise them, and the FDA elected with these uh, uh, boosters, quote unquote this new product to just not convene that committee. And then when it, so then it was approved basically by executive Fiat by Peter Marks and then sent down to the CDC and the CDC convened their advisory committee on immunization practices, which is the basically the gatekeeper for the vaccines for children program that Congress authorized. So if ACIP endorses a product in a in a treatment schedule, and then the director of the CDC signs off on it. Then it is automatically purchased and distributed to children all over the United States. That's how the system works.
1: Just real quickly, let's go back for a go to Jeffrey Hunter, um, Jeffrey Tucker. What um, the fifty percent on, on the data? They, you're saying fifty percent of the children in, in this in this forty two slide deck there's a there's a, actually a slide there that shows that fifty percent of the pers- of the children that were in the test group had an a- adverse uh, reaction.
0: I'm looking at the data right now. fifty uh, percent this is the Vsafe ACIP data, and this is slide twenty seven just so we're all aligned. It shows any injection site reaction, dose one, two, three is in the seventy to eighty percent for all children uh, systemic reactions vary from dose one at about 58% up to about 72%. Those with health impacts range on dose one at 10% and up to dose three or with the booster dose at 32%. Uh, Children unable to perform daily activities after inoculation ranges from 10% after dose one to about 32%. uh, I'm sorry, yeah, no, 20, I would say 10% up to uh, a maximum of about 25%. So one in four children unable to perform daily activities after the inoculation, unable to attend worker school after dose three, it goes up to about 20%. Um, These are stunning numbers. And this is from 4,362 participants. Who completed the survey between December 9th, twenty twenty one, and August twenty first, twenty twenty two? This is your kids.
1: Um, uh, hang on for one second. I want to bring in uh, Jeffrey Tucker from Brownstone. So, Doctor Tucker, you've done so, you're an economist, but you've done such a great job on the data here. This is pretty mind blowing, right? And this is a part of a CDC advisory committee. This is not some guys on uh, Gateway Pundit or you know War Room or some of these you know, some of these, uh, uh, you know, podcasts you see all the time that there's, there's thousands of them. Now, this is actually their own data and their own report. Give us your sense, put it in perspective. What are we seeing here and why are they not up at the, uh, podium at the white house saying, Hey, we're going to cease and desist all, uh, vaccinations like, it? we're going to ban it essentially like the guardians reporting what's happening in the UK to children, sir.
2: This seems to have been going on for a very long time. I mean, back in 2021 already, the FDA was purging uh, all dissidents within its ranks, and now it's only left with uh, people that that just sign off on whatever's coming uh, down the pike from Pfizer and and Moderna. So uh, that's that's my read on the situation. As far as the uh, the dangers, I'm it's not my area of specialization, but I'm very close to people. who whose specialization it is, and they assure me that these are the most dangerous vaccines that have ever been on, on the market, that nothing like this has ever, we've never seen anything like this before. And if this had been 1976, it would have been off the market in, in no time at all. So, uh, And there's also the shocking fact, which Steve, you've known about since 2020, and actually we've all known since probably February 2020. That the disease against which these vaccines are supposed to mitigate, you know, is not uh, uh, this population that's now being vaxed up is not even vulnerable to any kind of medically significant outcomes, use the CDC's phrase, uh, from from catching catching COVID. So why should they be getting a vaccine? It makes no sense whatsoever. I'm sorry to put it that way, but it, and by the way, I'm all for free choice. If somebody wants to shoot their skin up with some weird potion, that's that's their business. But when you have the government recommending and approving and saying, oh, this is necessary and put it on the childhood schedule and all this stuff, this is next level stuff. I mean, it, it didn't make any sense in 2020. It certainly doesn't make any sense now. We know who the vulnerable populations are and our, and our kids are not among them.
1: This is almost like a Kafkaesque nightmare. I mean, you know you know how the government works, how policy works. It, it, isn't there liability? I mean, particularly when the data is out there and other nations in the world are moving. And obviously, the children have been the most, um, the, the, the concern for everybody has been the children from the very beginning. That's why Fauci came out and said, oh, we're going to have it for high school kids by the fall and everybody uh, d- down to five years old by Christmas. And that's in 2021. Why now that we have this data and it's in a report like this, why is, why is the government not addressing this right now? And what do you believe, Dr. Tucker, needs, needs to happen?
2: Well, I mean, look, we've got a number of problems here. You've got uh, the pharmaceutical companies paying half the budgets of these, of these administrative state bureaucracies, which is a, a kind of a corrupt form of privatization. So they're clearly dictating the terms. You mentioned liability. I mean, we, we know for sure that uh, these that, that the companies have been largely uh, indemnified against any kind of normal uh, market based standards of liability. They're private companies that got paid uh, billions of dollars, $10 billion to uh, invent the potions. And then they keep the patent to it. And then they go public with their stocks and sell their stocks and, and get rich off, off the increases for a product that they're mandating in the population. Steve, I, look. I don't care what your politics are, really, left, right, it doesn't matter to me, free market anarchism, socialism, there's nobody who could approve of this combination of factors uh, for, for an industry like we're seeing in pharmaceutical companies now. And now you've got this catfight between Moderna and Pfizer over who gets to take possession of the formula of these, of these vaccines. The whole thing is, as you said, Kafkaesque, but it's, it's deeply corrupt. And, and truly indefensible from any political or ideological uh, perspective. This is the worst combination of incentives you could ever have in any kind of political economic sector. I don't care what it is. And it just so happens that it all belongs to farm. They worked for decades they lobby for it. Now they've got it. And now we're paying the price. But this is getting very, very personal for people now. Because you've got the, the the public school mandates now in D.C., and and people are being told they need to jab their kids with with something that they don't need, and and who benefits uh, the vaccine companies? Uh, the whole thing uh, is is outrageous, and and I would be very surprised if there's much of a market for these for these drugs at all, for these vaccines at all among this cohort, which is which is why there's so much pressure to put mandates uh, for the school kids,
1: Dr. Malone, uh, given what Dr. Tucker just said, you're, you're having additional data that's coming out this evening. What's the action plan here? What's the call to action to this audience? But, but what can, I think people are just going to be so outraged. And I think that's why they're downplaying what's happening in the UK right now. So what, what is your, what is your recommendation for the, uh, what's your recommendation for this audience?
0: So I don't want to sound like a illist, yeah, but ahead, I don't sir. know what can be done. The government seems to be totally refractory to any uh, logic, to any consequences. Uh, because we have a one-party system, the, the, both houses are blocking any significant investigations. And this is the most profound example of war profiteering I, don't, I think we've ever seen in the history of the United <laughs> States. This, this makes what happened no, because, in World War One and Two look like child's play.
1: No, not just that. It's it's It would be bad enough if it was just that, but you're actually giving something to children that the data, and not just that, other professionals in other countries are saying, no, we want to ban that. Let me go where I have you two guys. I want you to have everyone together. California has recently put forth because Dr. Malone, you've been at the forefront of this, and, and I know Brownstone, has been has been working and supporting some of these doctors there's legislation out there right now that says quite frankly Dr Malone if you go to a conference or you start talking to patients or you have start putting out some of the data you have and some of the ideas you've had uh it, it looks like they're criminalizing this well ba- basically to take your to take your license but it looks like it even go further than that how chilling is what the California legislature is trying to pass or has passed and it's going to Gavin Newsom, in, in what has become a, a one-party state, Gavin Newsom can actually sign into law, sir.
0: And, and it's important to remember that both Newsom and Inslee are young leaders trained by the World Economic Forum. They are clearly following the WEF guidance all the way through their respective administrations. Uh, this, it's a, it's, let's, let's be careful to recognize what this legislation is and what it isn't. It's basically authorizing the medical boards to take the medical licenses. So it's absolving the medical boards of uh, liability and consequences if they take the medical license of California physicians, which thank God I'm not one of. Uh, But uh, for those that are there, they're now in a position where basically I think one meme puts it. Gavin Newsom thinks he knows more about the practice of medicine than frontline doctors. We have a situation in which the state and approved organs of the state will define what is medical truth and any physician who errs from that uh, will be at clear, explicit risk of losing their license. Uh, And this, this is the state authorizing the California Medical Licensing Boards to take action on the basis of, they literally say it, mis and disinformation. And let's remember, misinformation is any information which is different from that which comes from the approved organs of the state, the World Health Organization, or the Health and Human Services and their respective uh, parallels in the state of California. So if you uh, practice in any way or speak in any way, it's contrary to this on a public venue on social media with your patients in private, you are at risk of losing your license. If Newsom signs this over.
1: Yeah, but you, you've, you've led a group and I think it's up to 10,000. I mean, you, you started in Puerto Rico then you went to Y, then you went to Rome. This is, I think it's got 10 or 15,000 positions.
0: Yeah. 17,000. I'm sure many
1: of them are in California.
0: And, and the what you guys project,
1: have put out go ahead
0: The project is yep. specifically developed to resist precisely this legislation. And Steve, this is only one of a number of bills that they've jammed through the uh, house in in the legislature in California. California has a uh, a band that is kind of dictatorial, in the medical space that is closely tied to the pharmaceutical industry and biotechnology. And they're the ones that are basically running the tables here.
1: But here's my point. If you see what the VARES are showing right now and what we know happened in the UK with the five to 11s, you you doctors and, and medical professionals that talked about this over a year ago, under this California law, that would have been deemed to be Misinformation or disinformation, and you could have had your license pulled your you lose not just your profession, how you support your family but what your life's calling is and it turns out that you guys are right. I mean everything i th- I think I've gone through all your documents, everything you guys have put out is essentially been right. It starts as conspiracy theory and then you know it gets to be oh this these guys happen to be right so it, in the case specifically here of what we're talking about the child vaccines. You guys, the the doctors and nurses or other medical professionals that talked about this over a year ago, or in the spring uh, in summer of 2021, it, under the California law, this would have been deemed misinformation, disinformation. They would have had, they would have been othered outside of their professions. Is that not correct?
0: Correct. And furthermore, uh, basically, this uh, codes into law a fundamental violation of the Nuremberg Accord and the Helsinki Agreement, which is the right of individuals for informed consent. Because what happens with all of this censorship by tech, which we now know through the various uh, disclosure actions of the two states' attorney general, we've had collusion, direct collusion by uh, the federal government together with social media to prevent Patients from discussing among themselves their own adverse events to obtaining information about adverse events from physicians that is prohibited information. And I think my friend uh, Dr. Tucker uh, the other day put out a little comment to the effect that we have been living through clearly now two years of suspension of the First Amendment freedom to speech because we have clear evidence now of directed collusion of the federal government enticing or otherwise incentivizing tech and presumably also corporate media to act as agents of the government, to suppress information. And that means suppressing the ability of patients to have informed consent over. Dr.
1: Dr. Tucker, I read your report, your analysis, your pieces. Dr. Malone's right, but isn't Gavin Newsom's model, and he's running for president of the United States on the California model, given everything we just said about the federal government, isn't his even scarier? Because he's now essentially weaponized, uh, and the California has weaponized this to actually go after physicians who would turn out to actually be correct in looking out for their patients' uh, you know well-being first. And this child's vaccine would have been the perfect example. Am I incorrect, sir?
2: Uh, my read on the situation is that a lot of doctors over the last last couple of years who have been recommending early treatments and alternative ways of looking at things have already been under fire from the medical boards, you know, as it is. And what what California's law is doing is is codifying this and making it legitimate. Whereas previously it's happened to have a uh, you know sort of little undercover. We didn't you know just want to stand up and say you have no right to treat your patients the way you want, uh, and your patients have no rights to accept to uh, to, to make their own decisions, that but that, that was sort of, that was the push uh, nationally uh, for a good part of uh, uh, 20 and 21, but now you see this being codified in California, uh, but you know, I guess it's rather typical. I mean, California seems to be gravitating towards the craziest of the crazies uh, kind of positions, uh, but my worry is that it's going to be foreshadowing for what's going to happen Nationally, so in effect, we we're going to you know get rid of all of freedom, medical freedom in this country if we stay on this trajectory, which I don't believe we're going to stay on. I mean, how can we? You know, I'm I'm optimistic there's going to be a revolt against this stuff. And you mentioned these documents. I, I I spent a long time this morning. It's the first time I've looked at them actually. I've been following this case with the state's attorney general from Missouri and Louisiana for a while, but I hadn't seen. The latest filings that came from the first round of discovery, which the judge got annoyed about, that it, it, they weren't the, the Fauci and company weren't being forthcoming enough. But just what we know right now, it is far more extreme than anything I ever imagined. I mean, just imagine this, Steve. I mean, for the for the better part of two years, you've had the CDC. Uh, uh, the Health and Human Services and NIH and and many other agencies in the federal government of positions and players working just very intimately and very closely with Facebook and Twitter and Google and all of our friends in the big tech world as if there's no difference whatsoever between the, the, the public sector and the private sector, between these private companies and, and the government. That willing cooperation I means with these collaborators and it's been going on and what they've been trying to do and successfully have done is, is, is codify a single line of truth as decided by Fauci and yeah. company and crush everybody of, else. The first...
1: <clears throat> Dr. Tucker, how do the people get to Brownstone? How do they get to your social media?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, for now I'm, I'm, I'm survive on Twitter for some reason, Jeffrey A. Tucker, but Getter is a good place and brownstone.org. Um, we run stuff, you know, every day, and I encourage everybody to get on our email list just in case all of the social media is taken down. And we're going to be covering the, these lawsuits, these astonishing things. And and by the way, Steve, yes. we have got 21 <laughs> days for discovery. Right. So the, the judge said, uh, Fauci and company, you guys are not being forthcoming or coming, or coming enough. I want everything. I want every bit of communication between you and external sources. So we're going to see uh, very soon in the next few weeks the real status of the First Amendment in this country. And I think what you're going to find is that these despots have decided they couldn't get away with it legally through um, their, their censorious ambitions legally uh, because of uh, constitutional restraints. So they just outsourced it all to the private sector. That's what happened.
1: Thank you, brother. Uh, Dr. Malone, how do they get to your Substack? You're putting this information up later tonight. How do they get to it?
0: rwmalonemd.substack.com. Remember, Steve, This is the definition of fascism, the fusion of the interests of the corporation and the state.
1: Brother, thank you very much. Steve Maxwell, next in the War Room.
3: War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon.
1: Okay, hey, welcome back. Uh, we've got a lot to get to. That was a pretty shocking opening salvo. We're going to try to, re- we may have to reschedule Steve Maxwell, but I want to get Ed Martin here. Ed, uh, you have been kind of the uh, the guy out there, the person that's made the Phyllis Schlafly, the Eagle Forum, everything move. I know we got a big event coming up, but I got to ask you because you've always been about freedom and liberty phyllis schlafly was she's one of the great fighters that took on long odds you just heard the first segment i mean have you ever seen anything where this country is and now that particularly the cdc the fda you have these reports coming out studies coming out and they're saying that in england's already moving on it on um the children saying hey we're going to ban giving it five to eleven and yet you hear guys like tucker and malone you see what's going on in, in california with this law that just got passed ed you fought for freedom and and, and liberty you represent an organization that i think has the 20th century's greatest fighter and really one of the first people to back trump phyllis schlafly give me your thoughts
3: yeah well, no. Look, I, it, what's what's crazy, Steve, is we're watching such a shift in what is a part of America's greatness. People don't even realize throughout the world after World War II, one nation, one set of people led the world on what's called now medical ethics, and the main thrust was how do we protect the individual's rights? How do you protect the individual's right to consent, the right to informed consent? And what Phyllis Schlafly said, Steve, you won't believe it, but I don't know, five, seven years ago, I said to Phyllis, hey, what about vaccines, Phyllis? We got friends on both sides. And she said, that's right. And she said, it's one we got to work on. This is vaccines in general. She said, but here's one line you have to draw. You must have parents in charge of the kids. And we're watching fascism, as, as one of the doctors said, fascism happened in this country where our government is taking away the rights of parents for their kids, right? And it's happening on health care. You know, it used to be that you could have a serious conversation. America led the world on what's called rights of conscience. Doctors who would say, "You know what? I'm a Catholic. I don't want to do abortion. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I don't want to do be a, participate in euthanasia. Or whatever it was." And now we're being told government will tell you what you have to do as a medical professional, as an individual at home. So it's breathtaking and it's, you know, people may think, oh, well, Terry McAuliffe said, parents don't have a right to education. It, that was a glimpse behind the curtain. The, what they know is they don't want our parents or ourselves to have control over our bodies and our lives. And when uh, Joe Biden calls uh, you know, guys like me a semi-fascist, it's because he knows what a fascist is because he's doing that every day, or at least his administration is.
1: Gavin Newsom's going to propose himself as the California alternative on eight November yeah. when we have sweeping winds in the House and the Senate, state legislative school yep. boards. The Democratic Party is going to be definitely crushed, right? He's going to yep. stand up and yes. say, Hey, I have a model. I have a model that works, and that's the California model. You've seen this legislation they passed that they literally would take your medical license if you had this. Yep. And and right. you know, they take your license, and it turns out, particularly in this thing with the children, Those doctors would have been right. What are your thoughts?
3: No, no, look, first of all, you're exactly right on Newsom. There was an analysis. I can't remember now who put the map up, but there's an analysis uh, uh, of where Gavin Newsom got his money for his reelect campaign. It looks like a presidential campaign, Steve. It's hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, it's uh, it's openthebooks.com, Adam Anjewski. They looked closely yeah. at you know all the vendors that were being asked, hey, you got a billion here, a billion there. But before you do, you know, kick into Newsom. He's got the old Democrat model of shakedown as a governor. He's shaking it down and it's working for him. So that's number one. Number two. It's it's like Biden, Steve. To me, it's like Biden, except a little bit of an upgrade. Meaning, they took a white guy, Newsom, who you know uh, is has done certain wild liberal things. Decided he would be the judge of marriage when he was mayor of San Francisco. You know, other decisions, and they're going to try to then run him as sort of competent and uh, and likable to people in places like Pennsylvania and places like uh, like Virginia. But as you point out, the details under the hood are truly totalitarianism. I mean, what he's proposing, what they're trying to do, and their education system has failed. You know, it's failing kids too fast. The whole thing's a disaster, but I'm with you. He's the coming man. He'll elbow aside Kamala Harris as clear as can be. She couldn't get a vote, let alone raise the money, and uh, and he will be the guy running uh, right after November. I totally agree with you.
1: Tell me about, uh, why is Phyllis Schlafly relevant today? And tell us about the organization You guys, not not just continue to perpetuate what she stood for, but what she stands for in the future. Remember, against all odds, she was really the first of what I call the hardest core conservatives to really back Donald Trump and say, hey, you know, this is our guy.
3: Yeah. Look, Phyllis, what Phyllis Schlafly taught us and what we do now, if you go to Phyllis dot com, it's kind of where we are headquartered. But she taught us to know conservatism and then know politics, know what the pieces that are moving, how they're doing it. When she backed Donald Trump, it wasn't only because she saw a guy that she agreed with on immigration, on trade, on shaking up the establishment. She also knew he knew how to win. You know, we're going to honor next week at Eagle Council, uh, people are, you're going to be in town, but we're going to honor Peter Navarro. Peter Navarro and Phyllis Schlafly, 20 years ago we were aiming at China when the rest of the country and especially the Republicans were saying hey if we just do a really good set of deals on Wall Street we'll get China to be liberalized it'll work out Peter Navarro who we're going to honor and, and your great friend and Phyllis Schlafly were ahead of the curve Phyllis saw down the field uh, further than anyone I've ever been around in terms of what was coming and, and she's, she's talked about for example the constitution in the 80s she talked about how the left wanted to gut our appreciation of history. She's got a piece from uh, 2012 uh, in her Phyllis Schlafly report on the Declaration of Independence. It should be taught in every school. It's so good. It's about four pages. And so, look, uh, she saw the threats against us. Now, one thing she was very clear on is the threat in the world after the Soviet Union fell was not the Soviet Union's leftover government. Yeah, whether it's corrupt or not, it's world communism. The, the, the communist Chinese are trying to destroy the world in favor of themselves. That's what the globalists do. Again, look, Phyllis Schlafly, she backed Reagan early. She knew Reagan was a, was the guy in the 60s. But she wrote a book, Steve, you may not even realize this. In 1964, her famous book, A Choice, Not an Echo, where she went in and said, hey, I've been going to every Republican convention. I've been looking. They keep give us giving us losers and telling us that it's going to work out, the Republican Party. And But she in that same book. She wrote about the Bilderbergers. She was the first person to put a name on the globalist movement that had started in the late 50s and was led by all these communists that were going to try to change the world. And it became Davos. It's become these other things. So, uh, look, the, the, the two things that Phyllis believed in more than anything, besides conservatism, was she believed that we have to do our part. And she believed that meant elections. You, you you can't hope that the other side screws up. You can't wish that there was a third, fourth or fifth party. There's a two party system. Pick one, make it better, but then get to the polls. And she would not ever have uh, been been talking about these third party idiots and the and these things. She just wouldn't believe yeah, it. And no. then she and then Steve. she was an optimist. You, you know, you knew she just believed the best is always yet to come. And she was right there.
1: Yeah. And tough as boot leather. Uh, how do they get, oh. how do people get tickets or how how they attend yeah. this event with Dr. Peter Navarro in the launch of his new
4: book?
3: Yeah. Thank you. Phyllis started gathering conservatives uh, starting in the late 60s. EagleCouncil.com. EagleCouncil.com. You can come out. It's on September 17th, Constitution Day in St. Louis. Uh, and you come into the airport, Marriott there. Uh, eaglecouncil.com, it's a cheap ticket 50 bucks for dinner, Navarro will be there, Bannon will be there, and then there's all these other great leaders, uh, Eagle leaders, again look, if you want to go to a cattle call there'll be cattle calls another time, if you want to come and see, you know, Tamara Scott who does a show on Lindell TV, uh, Steve, she just was texting me, she was talking about you earlier today, the the place to come and get connected, eaglecouncil.com we'd love to see people and Steve, one more thing, you've been so good to the January 6th families uh, I've been working I'm, as an attorney. I represent three of the, the prisoners just a couple miles from my office here in D.C. And uh, and we're going to have some of the people that are fighting for those families, the family members themselves in St. Louis on the 17th also. So to make sure we respect uh, 50, what's going on in the fight. So. Go
1: go go to EagleCouncil.com. It's going to cost you 50 bucks. You get Navarro, you get That's Bannon, it. you get Ed Martin. It's going to be these things are always great. I've done two or three of them. It's just fantastic. Yep. And Phyllis Schlafly's legacy. Is uh, she's a giant, and she gets bigger every year. We get into hey, the future. One more Ed, quick real thing. quickly. What's your one social media? How thing. do people? Yep.
3: Add Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, Ed Martin on Getter and everywhere else. But real quick, Steve, after Phyllis died six years ago, right now, two days ago, Steve Bannon came out with Donald Trump to the funeral. There's a famous image of Steve Bannon and uh, and, uh, Kellyanne kneeling down before Phyllis's casket. President Trump and Mrs. Trump prayed there. It was extraordinary. She was a great friend and she believed in you too, Steve. So uh, keep fighting.
1: We're going to keep fighting. Great woman. And I got to tell you, that uh, that funeral was uh, amazing, President Trump. At that time, Canada Trump, very moving. Ed, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks,
3: Steve. Let's go
1: to uh, one of the guys that you've heard of Howard Zinn, this left-wing guy, our guy on the right who wrote, I think, the best history book. For people really, the first time, want to come and understand our history, the Patriots history of the United States, Larry Schweikert. But Larry, I, today, I don't want to have you on here. We, I'd love to get you back and talk about the Patriot history, everything that's going on. But you wrote a second book, or you've written other books, but this book that you wrote about presidents that win after the swamp. The whole show today has been about the administrative state and the administrative state, particularly the FDA, the CDC. What was? Why did you get the inspiration to use Trump? But you also talked about other presidents. This has been ongoing since, I think, Lincoln's time to take on this central apparatus, which I don't... I call it the administrative state. Walk me through your theory of the case,
0: sir.
5: Well, the, the administrative state really starts back with Martin Van Buren. And, you know, I call him the most important American that nobody's ever heard of because he formed the modern day Democratic Party for one reason only, to protect and preserve slavery. And the way in which he was going to do that was through uh, giving away jobs, patronage, the spoil system. And the idea was that if you get out the vote, or the more vote you get out, the better the job reward you get from the uh, incoming administration, whether it's a county job, a local job, state, federal, party, they, they would start to reward their followers with jobs. Well, this is what starts to become the deep state because a lot of these guys get entrenched over time. And then, in, uh, as Lincoln comes along to fight slavery, he finds that there is a slave swamp. They, they, they called it the Slave Power Conspiracy, and it controlled the Supreme Court, the Senate, much of the House of Representatives, and between Jackson and Buchanan, it controlled virtually every president, which is why they did nothing at all about slavery during that time. So this, when I started the book, I thought I had six different topics. But as I, as I rolled through these guys, I realized we were fighting the same swamp. Uh, kind of like hydra heads in different forms throughout this period, whether it was Grover Cleveland fighting the spoil swamp when patronage got to be such an issue, it was dominating uh, presidents' lives, to Teddy Roosevelt and the trust swamp, and the only swamp he didn't really get to take out was the media swamp, to Kennedy and the JFK, uh, to JFK and the uh, CIA swamp, to Reagan and the bureaucracy. And Reagan is the first one who actually names the bureaucracy as a kind of threat. He says, we've got to reduce the size of government. And then finally, of course, Trump. And, and so the 2020 election said, and I need to put all this together in one book.
1: Let me ask you where, where you see it standing today, particularly this fight, you've got mar every day. It's in the, the national security, the intelligence state. You just heard doctors, uh, Tucker and Malone about the situation with the CDC information out there. UK's already banned use of this vaccine from five to 11. As you sit here today, and I say it's the great struggle of our time domestically. Where do we go as a movement and where do we go as a, par- a party, sir?
5: Well, Trump made incredible inroads against the deep state. Yes, he was thwarted in many, many ways, but people don't realize that his is judges, not just the Supreme Court, but down through the ranks, are today making ruling after ruling after ruling against the deep state and the swamp, uh, particularly the Fifth Circuit versus the SEC and the uh, Giacchese case. Then you had, of course, the West Virginia EPA case. It's going to take dozens of these. But th- the point is we are working our way through those. And most of those kind of go unnoticed by ordinary people because it's a lot of, lot of legalese. President Trump, as you know, put in place, uh, started to put in place two major reforms for the deep state. One was he started moving agencies and offices and bureaucracies out of DC. Now, I don't think they need to be sent to Wichita or Phoenix or Minneapolis. I need think they need to be sent to Hawaii, New Mexico and uh, Gila Bend, Arizona, and Pigs Knuckle, Arkansas. I mean, I want these agencies as remote as possible so that anybody in them isn't networking with a bunch of other bureaucrats to maintain their their power. And then you, of course, know about uh, Trump's proposed shift to the Schedule F employment, which would take a lot of these patronage jobs that Cleveland fought so hard against and turn them into contractor jobs. So. The, the fight goes on, as you say, medically. It goes on in terms of information and the deep information state in Hollywood. It goes on politically. And of course, uh, everybody's united against Putin over there. And Putin is standing alone against the globalists in, in Europe. When, when you've got George Soros and the World Economic Forum and all these guys on one side and got Putin on the other side, I think people need to say, gee, which side really is more deserving of our support in all this?
1: Uh, let's go to. We're going to have you back on to drill down more on this. But let's talk about the, the book. You can get the book on Amazon. Give us the yes. title. How do you go to it? I want your website and all your social media. So because this is very right. important, more important today even than when it was published.
5: Okay. Well, my website is the dot com, and I have a full U.S. and full world history curriculum for anybody using Patriots History or anybody wanting a an accurate honest and effective history of the United States. And you can get all the books there. You can get Dragon Slayers, Six Presidents and Their War with the Swamp at Amazon, at Barnes and Noble. And my social media, I'm on Twitter as Walls Other. That's a play on the name of my second movie, Other Walls to Fall. Walls Other, because they keep throwing me off Twitter. And I'm on True Social as Cybernetics LS. Don't ask the Took away all my other names. Some people got it. So Cybernetics LS on Truth
1: Social. The, dr- the, the, the book is Tra- Dragon Slayers. Everybody should definitely read this. The six presidents that took it on, and particularly Trump. Larry, the Patriots History of the U.S., best history book written in modern times. Thank you so much for being on here today, Larry Swiker.
5: Thank you, Steve.
1: Raynard Jackson, Raynard, uh, you join me. I, the question I've got Raynard, you have all these young conservative black voices, MAGA voices coming up. How are they, is there a platform out there? How are they getting out to the, cause I know you tell me this is the number one thing we got to do because we have a rising generation of African Americans that don't want to be part of the democratic party and understand it's too radical. Tell me right now what your plan is. How, how can we make sure that there are platforms out there that people can actually see this content and people can get this content out?
4: Well, number one, thanks for having me, Steve. Conservatives' biggest mistake, in my view, Steve, is to constantly trying to use pop culture and hip hop to attract the younger generation. That's not going to work, Steve, because these guys who will listen to Kanye West or Drake or uh, The Weeknd for music purposes, when they want to hang out with their friends at the club or the frat or Sora party, But they don't share those values that these guys are singing about in their music, Steve. So what we have to do as conservatives go into the young Black community and talk about value. Steve, I was there in Southeast D.C. over the weekend for a cookout with a friend of mine who's a former city councilwoman in D.C. I'm talking about deep in the hood. Now, I'm the only Republican there. All Black folks from the hood. Deep hood. And when they or the councilwoman introduced me to them and said, Oh, he's my black Republican friend, they all came up to me one-on-one, like, How can you be black and Republican? And so when I start sharing with them values and issues, they like, I agree with everything you're saying. And their their response to me, Steve, was, Why don't I see more black Republicans like you on TV or radio? I've never met a black Republican before. That's the issue right there taking these cultural values or what I call traditional values, Steve, from uh, the intact family unit, good education, stand away from drugs, this, getting away from this radical homosexual agenda. And then you match that with these guys want to see Black entrepreneurs, Steve, not athletes and entertainers, but they want to see the businessman in the Black community doing doing $100 million a year in IT. You merge those two factions together, Steve, that's how you get the attention of a young black conservative.
1: Reinhard, how do you get to uh, your site? You're you're putting this plan together now. We're going to make sure that everybody gets a look at it because this is you're absolutely correct values and entrepreneurship. That's our, that's our, that, that really gets, I think, a solid African-American, particularly young men and women that want to be entrepreneurs. How do people follow you and how do they get to your site?
4: Black Americans for a Better Future, that's our political website. I'm on Getter at Raynard Jackson, and that's all my social media for Facebook, Twitter. And on my uh, uh, Black Americans for a Better Future, Steve, they can see some of our events we've done in the past with you and other folks, with Herman Kane, but also events that we're about to do in uh, September, October. And again, Steve, we have to show the younger Black uh, students and, 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 again, experts, they have got to be seen with credible blacks who are talking their language, but also are giving them aspirations to, to climb the ladder, to be higher than they already are. Stop using hip hop to try to cater to them.
1: Raynard Jackson, a fighter, pure MAGA. Thank you, brother. See you back there at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. You think you've been on fire so far? You ain't seen nothing yet. See you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. in the war room.